So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. And I bet, I bet I, I get asked that a lot, you know, like, what about people that are just doing it? It's fake or it's, it's, it's not in their bones. So I think two things. One is if good is being done, if change is being impacted, if people's lives are being affected, if there are people that are engaging with us corporations and they don't mean it in their heart, but they're stroking the checks that are in, that, that are coming to us that are resulting in mothers not, you know, real dramatic, mothers not burying their children, you know, people in Syrian refugee camps having access to it. I'm okay. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Sean Seitler. Sean, thanks for doing this. Yes, thanks for having me. So I watched one of your YouTube videos about your partnership with Hilton and was really inspired by what you guys are doing and found out about so much more. For people not familiar with, with Clean the World, give us the overview. Sure, Jess, and again, thanks a lot for having me on. Clean the World is a global impact organization. We're a hybrid of a, a B Corp and uh, a 501c3 nonprofit. We have offices across the globe and we launched 12 years ago. Our primary product and the product that we launched with 12 years ago works with the global hospitality industry. And what we do is we take the used soaps and bottled amenities when guests are done using them, we recycle those items and we send them to children and families locally and all over the world who in many cases are literally dying because of a lack of proper hygiene. And of course, in our you know post-pandemic era, just even more importance around you know getting folks uh, hygiene and soap and, and education. But that was our primary product. We have since developed uh, new impact products. We engage corporations, Fortune 1000s, to to help those locally and and globally. And we provide meaningful metrics, you know, data, so they can share all the good work they're doing with their consumers their stakeholders, their employees, their shareholders, and, and those that they they really want to want to tell, you know, the the good stuff that they're doing and working on with us. That's great. So you've got some pretty impressive stats. Can you tell us some of the stats of like how many pounds of waste and how many bars you've distributed and, you know, yeah. all these places you're doing it? For sure. So in 2009, when we launched in a single car garage in, in downtown Orlando, there were 9,000 children under the age of five that were dying every day to pneumonia and diarrheal disease, the number one and number two leading cause of death amongst children worldwide at the time. And when I figured out that we could use soap to help save their lives, found a whole bunch of studies that showed that uh, if we just gave them soap and taught them how and when to wash their hands, we could cut those deaths in half. So again, we launched with this idea that we collect all the used soaps, recycle it, send it to children around the world. 
So in 12 years, that product has collected 22 million pounds of waste that we have diverted from landfills across North America, uh, Europe, and uh, in Asia. We have distributed 65 million bars of soap to children, families in 127 countries across the globe. We've distributed with a, with a second product that we've created, the hygiene kit builds and the Soap Save Live boxes. We've distributed uh, over 5 million hygiene kits, which primarily go to domestic homeless shelters, relief organizations, and also are used primarily when uh, disasters hit, hurricanes, flooding, you know, wildfires, et cetera. And so we've, we've done, we have another product that gives out showers. It launched in Southern Nevada, in Las Vegas, and uh, one unit there is given out 17,000 showers and uh, really helped a lot of folks in, in the areas of getting birth certificates and getting into job placement, drug rehabilitation, job, job training. Uh, so we've done that and we've, we've launched about three or four more of those. Uh, but really the, the, of all those awesome stats, you know, the most important one is kind of going back to when we launched, when there were 9,000 children dying every day. And today we've seen a reduction in the child mortality rate, children under the age of five dying to hygiene related illnesses has come down by more than 65% since the day we launched. So we've literally seen millions of children lives being saved because they have access to soap, they have better education, they understand hygiene and its importance. And, and because of that, the United Nations has added us to their global wash cluster. So we're a member of the United Nations global wash, wash standing for water, sanitation, hygiene. And, uh, and we really sit at the, at the leadership level and strategy level when it comes to rolling out global programs to, to, to various areas of the world. So really cool stats. And it's, it's all been a part of and because of the awesome, awesome partners. You know, we have 10,000 hotels that run our program across the globe and thousands of, again, Fortune 1000, Fortune 5000 companies that have engaged with us in our various uh, impact products. Well, I, I mean, I think it's great that you've got Disney and Caesars and Hilton and Marriott and Starwood, all these people doing this. I know you get this question, but I still think it's good to cover. Can you explain to people, like, at first you were, like, using potato peelers and, like, what, yeah. what the process looks like now so the soap's actually clean? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in, in pre-2009, before I started Clean the World, I ran a, a, a global sales team for a technology company, actually a company that Google ended up buying a few years after I launched Clean the World. So I, I, was, I was in consumer electronic computing, e-com, web, data, just tech, but I was on the road four nights a week. And I, I happen to be from South Florida. I've got thin Floridian blood. Two of my biggest customers were Target and Best Buy. I was in Minneapolis all the time, 40 nights a year. And so my thin blooded self would stay in a hotel room bundled up and, you know, typically drinking a cocktail most of those 40 nights uh, a year. And, uh, you know, one of those nights I was kind of thinking about getting into business, getting into doing something. I didn't know what, something on my own. And I, I was thinking about green technologies, green you know, industries, and, and, and just looking for items of waste. And it was one of those nights in Minneapolis, you know, having probably a cocktail or two that I decided to call the front desk and ask, you know, what happened to the low bar soap and low bottle shampoo when I was done using it? And they chuckled and actually told me I should have another cocktail. And I said, send one of those up. But what happens with the soap when I'm done using it? And they said, it's thrown away. I said, okay, that's really interesting. So I went back and did some research. And at that time, there were 4.6 million hotel rooms in the US. There was about a 60% occupancy rate. I kind of figured out that if all hotels were throwing their soap away, that we were throwing away about a million bars of soap every day out of hotels across the United States. And, and then I continued to research and figured out how you could you know, recycle soap. And then I found those studies 
that showed that there were, you know, thousands of children dying every single day to these, uh, to pneumonia and diarrheal disease. And if we just gave them soap, we could, you know, cut those deaths in half. So all of this is swirling around and I decide I, I'm going to do something with it. I, 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 at the time I've got four, you know, children, five now, but I've got, you know, they're young and I'm going, you know what, this is crazy that there's millions of bars of soap being thrown away every day. And there's thousands of children dying. We got, we got to figure out how to, how to, how to solve that problem. So I, 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 I'm half German, half Puerto Rican. So I called my German family members. I asked, you know, I've got this great idea. I'm going to collect used soap from hotels and I'm going to, you know, recycle it and send it to people around the world. This is when, by the way, the economy was just starting to, to really crash in 09. And my German family was like, no, 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 Sean, don't do that. Don't quit your day job, you know, please. And so I said, no, 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 I'm going to go do this. So then I switched it up and I called my Puerto Rican family members, switched the pitch up a little bit. I said, listen, we're going to get into a garage. We're going to recycle soap. We're going to cook soap and we're going to save children's lives. And they all said, we are in 100%, you know, let's go. So in early 2009, we got into a single car garage in downtown Orlando. And our recycling center was, we all sat on upside down pickle buckets and we had potato peelers and we would take bars of soap we were collecting from around central florida and we would we'd scrape the outside of those bars of soap to to, to surface clean it and then we, we we had a meat grinder and so we put the soap in a meat grinder we grind it into you know into noodles and then we had these uh, kenmore cookers and we would put the soap in cookers and we would cook it for a couple of hours we would cook all the impurities out it would cook it into a paste and then after a couple of hours we had these big wood soap molds that we made ourselves, we put some wax paper down, we put the paste on, more wax paper, top it, clamp it, it would dry overnight. The next day we had wire cutters, we would cut the soap up and we take it out of the molds and we put it on these racks and we have fans that were blowing it dry and it would harden for another 24 hours. And literally about every 30 minutes, the power would cut the house, which was a big deal because with my you know, Puerto Rican workforce, we had to have music going. We always had to have our salsa and merengue going. So if that cut, the workforce would stop. So I had to make sure that was going. And, and true story, the first time that the police drove by the garage, they wanted to see what all of us, you know, Puerto Ricans were cooking in this garage. And, and I, you know, gave them a tour. And this is when, by the way, when Breaking Bad was topping the charts, you know, on, on TV. So, so they were quite surprised that we were really cooking soap in this garage. And, and that's how we started, you know, it all day, it would, it would, it would from scraping and, and grinding and cooking, and we'd make 500 bars of soap. And, and we did that really all the way up to about the summer of 09, when we had our first international distribution to Haiti. And, uh, you know, I remember coming in with about 2000 bars of soap that we made in a garage and we came into a church in the Northern part of Haiti, in Cape Haitian Haiti, there were 10,000 Haitians in this church. I remember just telling them we were just going to do everything we could to come back and bring more soap. And they, they dug into the soap and in the boxes like it was, you know, food and they were they were hungry. And uh, shortly after that, we kind of got some breaks. We uh, Katie Kirk was doing CBS Evening News and the H1N1 a scare was going on at the time, the end of 2009. And they contacted us and said they wanted to to uh, to do a piece on us. And could they come down and, and, and follow some soap to Haiti as well? And we were still in the garage. I said, yes, we'll do it. And at that point, I figured out how to get us out of a garage and into a little bit of a facility. But, but yeah, that's how we launched. You know, fast forward 12 years later, we have recycling centers in Orlando, Las Vegas, Montreal, Punta Cana, Amsterdam, Hong Kong. We're opening up one in Shanghai, uh, hopefully sometime this year. So as I like to tell people, we're out of a single car garage and at least we're into two car garages now all over the world. So, so it's worked out. <laughs> so I'm interested, how many... So like how many bars of soap would you do in a day? Like version 1.0 there? Yeah, like 500 bars of soap in a day. And now? 
Yeah, today, you know, we're doing, depending on the number of facilities, we're doing, you know, 10,000, 15,000 bars uh, a day and different types of processes. And again, we have different products, but we just had the, the best 12 months in the history of our company, right when, you know, when COVID hit in terms of, of distribution of soap, manufacturing distribution of soap. And over the last 12 months, we put a 6 million bars of soap out, you know, across the United States, Southern border of the U.S., a lot into Latin America, and then into the places in Africa, the programs we have going there in Southeast Asia. So 6 million bars we've done just in the last 12 months. Love it. Yes. Well, you know, as a guy who started a charity 10 years ago myself, I really, I don't know, I, I really admire people who can figure out how to get out of the 501c3 business and into something sustainable and social enterprise. Can you talk about that? Can you talk yeah. about that process for you? Yeah, that is really one of the really, I think, cool stories and probably undertold stories of what has happened, you know, at Clean the World. So remember when I started the company, I came out of tech. I, I, I was doing tech sales at the age of 21, actually dropped out of college at the time because I was doing so well in technology sales. And so I always came from a very, you know, for-profit tech-driven environments and cultures, you know, product-oriented organizations. And, 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 you know, always had ROI calculators with, with, with very clear benefits to buying whatever, you know, tech, you know, we were, we were positioning. So when I made the flip to a charity and a nonprofit, it was a, it, it was a big time change for me. It was a challenge to get into a world of asking people for money in order to support your mission. You know, you don't really have these ROI calculators. You're not, not necessarily a product driven type organization, you know, values and, and all of those things were just different. And, you know, frankly, I struggled with that early on when we asked people for money and, and they wouldn't do it or, you know, didn't give. And it was 2009 when it was tough. I, 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 I struggled with the way that that was done. And so I found myself, you know, wanting to figure out a business model and a, a path to sustainability that was going to include driving revenue and figuring out how to drive revenue with a valuable service or product or what have you. And so that, that was really when we started to create. So the structure, the business structure of a 51 c 3 you know, not paying taxes, having a mission, having the IRS, you know, agree with that, and then having the opportunity to, to, to get donors and donations, that, that's all very good. And that doesn't prevent somebody from still within a nonprofit corporate structure, having an earned income model where you're able to create a product or service or what have you and, and sell that and have an earned income. And we see that all the time with, with nonprofits. So we were still within this 51c3 able to create you know, an earned income model. And that's, that's where it became, okay, we are taking used soaps and bottles from hotels. We are recycling these items and we are saving lives. There's a value there to the hotel. There's a value in that we are taking their trash. We are turning trash into treasure. We're measuring how much we're taking. We're, we're documenting clearly where it's going to. You know, housekeepers that work in hotels uh, so many times come from the countries that we are sending product to. They are encouraged in the hospitality industry and hotel industry to conduct green programs and, and, and initiatives. And, you know, this green program and initiative, Recycling Soap, has a life at the end of it when we talk about saving lives. So there's a value to the employee at the hotel. There's a value to the hotel guests. So we started to sort of just bundle up all this value in, a, in the service that we were offering, the product that we were offering to hotels. 
And then we had to figure out how to make that leap to this very unique recycling program, very unique CSR program that had a back-end operation to it at the hotel. There was also value in our ability to train the hotels properly, how to collect, how to get it in the bins, how to get it shipped to us, you know, all, all those things. So in all that, we figured out a value. We figured out what the market would pay for that. It started off higher than this, but today, if a hotel in the United States wants to engage with our program, they pay 50 cents per room per month. So a 100 room hotel pays 50 bucks a month, a 500 room hotel pays 250 bucks a month, 1000 room hotel pays 500 bucks a month. And that includes all of the bins and the back end logistics included and, and all the, the customer service and operational support as well as probably where the bigger value is all of the marketing and the PR and the branding and the social media and, you know, helping us support their, you know, corporate sustainability reports and corporate impact reports and, and really helping speak to their consumers and their shareholders and their stakeholders and their employees. Uh, so once we determined, you know, back in 09 that we had a, a product that was a value and, and, and really it was that Haiti experience you know, we went to Haiti in 09. It was, it was documented on a, on, a, on a local Fox network here, which ran in some other networks, other marketplaces. And it was actually viewed by Katie Kirk, senior producer at CBS Evening News. So when CBS Evening News hit us up at the end of 09, they also went to Haiti with us. And then unfortunately, in January of 10, January 12, 2010, was the Haiti earthquake. And it was this, you know, global tragedy that happened in Haiti. And it just so happened that we had been documented already a couple of times distributing soap and doing things in Haiti. And so that really turned on the, the you know, the North American hospitality industry to say, if we want to help Haiti, we go to clean the world. And so that really started to kind of, the phone started kind of ringing at that point. It's when Walt Disney World came on, Starwood came on shortly after that, some of the bigger brands. And, that, and that's when we kind of got the, you know, the value for the program. And then shortly after that, we made the conversion into a B Corp because the emergence of B Corp started to come. And now you can have a for-profit company that had a mission written into its charter and bylaws. And actually, you know, as a, you know, I had a, I had a fiduciary responsibility to the mission as well as to shareholder return within a B Corp. And that was the right time for us to kind of take the product side, the revenue side out of the 501c3 put it into the B Corp, make the 51C3 a more traditional 51C3. So we kind of went through all those iterations and, you know, pivots to get us to, to, to where we are today. Well, you know, a couple of things that it makes me think about is one, you know, the, the French guy who coined the word entrepreneur started using it, I think like the late 1700s. It was basically this idea of somebody who could take some, some commodity or some product of a lower value and improve it to a higher value. You know what I mean? Like where you're like literally taking waste, like actual stuff that's headed to the trash bin. I mean, it like feels like a pure application of it that way. But it, it also makes me think of like one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time is this guy, Dan Pallotta. Yes. Who, inspiring uh, for me. Who you're familiar with. Yeah. One of my business partners at, at our real estate fund, she was the executive producer on a, on a whole documentary about that now. Mm. With It's got Ed Norton and all sorts of great people in it. Jake Gyllenhaal's dad was the director and stuff. And this idea that like nonprofit basically has its hands tied behind its back because as soon as you pay people what they would be worth in the real world, you get so much criticism and like, you know, the this idea that the primary metric to measure a nonprofit by is how much their expenses were, not how much good they did in the world. Like, you know, if you could get some metric that was like how much good per dollar, that'd be that'd be epic, right? But but the psyche out there is it's like 
it means that we either underpay people or we can only attract people who market rate is at low rate. And so you, we're just like handcuffing ourselves from having the best people helping grow the most important causes. And so seeing social enterprises like you guys, it's encouraging to me because I look at child rescue and I look at, you know, my last executive directories, you know, from the special mission unit, from the army's, you know, top counterterrorism unit in the world. And he got an offer for literally double what we were paying him. And it's got, you know, he's got kids. How do you, you know, like we don't want him to stay when he's got an offer for double. You know what I mean? Right. 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 So anyways, I think it's great. You made the transition. It's a great point though. It's, it's, it's that damn plot of Ted talk. I probably viewed it, you know, a dozen times. It's, it's so true. It's so valuable. We want to solve the world's greatest issues. We want people that, 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 you know, he uses the example, I think of like the soft drink company CEO and, and the head of the, you know, the, the diabetes nonprofit and, and, and how they're earned and what, what their levels are, but yet who is actually in terms of societal, you know, good, now here's I think what's happening. There's good news I believe it's happening, and 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 it's really being driven by the the, the millennials and the Gen Zers and and all of society. We are valuing doing good. We are valuing helping others. I I I go back to the mobile phone, the creation of 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 of, of that, the ability for us to get content so quickly. We've had generations growing up, and even us, you know, on the on, on the top end of that, we we've been able to see on our phone things that we never saw when we were kids. When I was kids, you know, six when I was young, six o'clock evening news, my parents may tell me to go out of the room if there was some bad stuff. You know, now you you know kids have phones, they'd see, you know, two planes into into the the, the towers and the financial meltdowns and tsunamis and you know climate change, things that are dramatically happening, we're able to see immediately. And I think that drives the psyche and the desire to help others and do good. And so what we see now is this integration happening in capitalism and in the market that, you know, those that tout their CSR, those that tout the things are doing good, those that integrate into their products and services, they are outperforming their competitors, you know, stock exchange. And it's no surprise that, you know, go back to Super Bowl commercials in the last few years, more and more of them are about the good that we're doing. It's about how we're helping people. And so much of that is integrated now, you know, October, month of October, the pink aisle, you know, at Walmart, I remember that first came out and those things are driving our purchasing decisions which drives value. And I think that B Corps have, have allowed us to start thinking about organizations like Clean the World and the creation of value and the fact that I can bring investors in, social investors in. And if we get more money and we get more investment, we can go save more lives. We can get more product out to people. We can do more good. And that is valuable to investors. That is valuable to you know consumers. That's valuable to the marketplace. So that's a good thing. And I think that that mentality and I think Dan's a great example of somebody who helped drove, drive that mentality. I think a lot of people saw that and said, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So it's becoming more and more acceptable. It's becoming more and more understandable. And I think the private sector, too, it's becoming more and more, you know, more and more understands they have to have these types of corporate responsibility and, and initiatives and sustainable initiatives and all that because their consumers demand it now. And that's all a really, really good thing. You know, that's driving in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I I do get kind of cynical about it sometimes too, though, because of for the folks they don't actually have it in the bones, you know, like it's just some it's just a sticker yeah. put on top at the end. Like yeah. I think you and I might be similar ages. I I turned forty this year. Are we, are we pretty close in age? Pretty close. I, I've got you by by a few, couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm technically, I guess it depends how you 
you know how you cut the generations but i mean the, the last Xer. i mean the, the last year of the gen xer or the first year of the millennial either way right that's right so and, i'm a gen xer so i'm right there with you yeah so you know millennial was, has been like a bad word for a decade nobody wanted to be millennial right <laughs> but now we've got gen zers to complain about so <laughs> millennial is not quite so bad and you know like millennials started having families and became more responsible adults compared to where, where they were right but i do look at kind of us like tail end of the Gen Xers, for sure the millennials, the Gen Z. And there's a lot of folks our parents' age who were told how to market to us, right? Mm -hmm. But they didn't actually live it. You know what I mean? It was like some marketing person said like, oh, that stuff we already do, wallpaper it with like, oh, we care. You know what I mean? And it's like, really? And, And there's this like, they're so like, it's so overdone too. The people who are like, the worst is when they don't really mean it, and then they pat themselves on the back endlessly about it or like shame right. you, sh- yeah. like try to shame you for not caring what their marketing person decided you should care about or something. Right. Yeah. And yet those people that like really have it in the bones, it does create a different emotional connection. We, you know, there's a, there's a great guy out here in Utah started a B Corp called Code Epoxy. It's this outdoor brand. Mm. Okay. Mm. And he'd, he'd gone down to South America and built this like hundred million dollar website called baby.br. They sold to Johnson and Johnson and very successful guy went to Wharton, but wanted to make a bigger impact. So he goes the B Corp route on it, you know, next time around. And it's just interesting, like the way they treat their people, like they make these crazy backpacks and stuff, but they let the workers in Guatemala, these places pick the colors. They're like, oh, take, see all this scrap. This is what we're going to make stuff. We're going to make stuff out of scrap. I mean, it's high quality, it's high quality cloth, but it's not, you know what I mean? Like it's, they're using remnants and they're they're trying to use it all wasteless, right? But -hmm. what's interesting is like treating their workers like real life human beings, like letting them be a part of the design process. And like, especially around here, they've become really popular. Like my kids are so stoked when I like go to a conference or something and I get code epoxy bags and then I give it to them. Mm -hmm. They think they're really cool at school, but everybody, they're all unique. Like there's so many crazy colors and stuff, right? But it wasn't like this. It wasn't this like sticker after everything had been thought out and the bean counters had had done everything. Some like marketing CSR person is trying to pretend to wrap this good cause around it at the end. Like they're actually doing it. And I think they're getting loyalty for it. Yeah. Listen, that's awesome. And I I I get asked that a lot. You know, like what about people that are just doing it? It's fake or it's, it's, it's not in their bones. So I think two things. One is if good is being done, if change is being impacted, if people's lives are being affected, if there are people that are engaging with us corporations and they don't mean it in their heart, but they're stroking the checks that are in, that that are coming to us that are resulting in mothers not you know real dramatic mothers not burying their children you know people in Syrian refugee camps having access to it I'm okay if the if if the heart isn't there either you're doing it because you want to sell more goods but the money and the resources are doing something good I'm okay with that. I think if people are fake about it, I think we've got enough technology and not enough folks looking at them that they're gonna you're gonna find the frauds. But at the end yeah. of the day, if a lot of it's being done because people think that they have to check that box, but that check that box is helping, I've resigned myself to I think I'm okay with that because I so, so listen, I'm so with you. I have I have joked for 10 years of child rescue that I'm willing to take money from the Hell's Angels to go fight the Hell's Angels. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. I'll take money from anybody to go after these criminal networks that harm kids. Right. Now, I won't let somebody whitewash harm they're doing by sticking our name on it. You know, I had this guy wanted to start a an app for rating escorts and they wanted to give a small portion to us. 
to show they care. I was like, dude, that is like okay. one of the, you know, you guys in like, you know, the pornography industry are like two of the biggest contributors to the harm here. No, right. you're not going to whitewash your reputation using us. But but if you wanted to stroke an anonymous check, I would have taken it to go fight organizations like his. You know what I mean? No, 100%. That's a great point. And what you get into there is, in my opinion, you get into the protection of your, you know, our brand stands for something. We protect our brand. We we are very careful where it is. We are very careful who takes it and why and what, what they represent. Every press release, every social media post, all those things. So you have to, it's very important that if we stand for something, a clean world, we're protecting that all the way down to the end. And then somebody who is going to associate themselves with us, we are going to make sure and it's done in the right way that we protect it. And there have been instances and times that organizations want to partner with us publicly. That was not exactly, you know, we had to think really hard about what was going on in those organizations. And it's a challenging time around these things. If you think about the political situations we've had recently, you think about, you know, what happens as we went through a very awesomely important time in our country, and it will continue to be in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement, the movements of social inequalities and injustices that we really have. And you start to see, okay, now, now, you know, companies have to make statements appropriately. So are they living behind those statements? Do they, do they, do, do they truly do that? Then what happens when you have executives and they're social and how does that play into, to, you know, to, to, to those companies brands? So it's, it is a very, it, it's very important for those organizations that are doing the good work to also protect their brands, watch their brands and make sure when they're associated with other companies that it's, it's, it's being done the right way. It's with the right folks. And sometimes that may mean you have to say no to, engaging or the dollars or as you said do it anonymously if if you know the you know the money is going to do good but you have to be careful with that public association yeah you know I, i'm glad you brought that up it, it's something i think a lot about you know last week we had a guy named daryl eves on who who helps youtubers like mr beast and these you know these biggest youtubers in the world right his his clients have had like 60 billion views of their videos right then on friday I had this guy brendan kane who wrote this amazing book called hook point and, you know, across social and the stuff that they do, they've got 50 billion views for their clients, right? And it's interesting to me, it's almost like, you know, the inner engineer in some of us wants to feel like doing good is enough. Being, being good at our craft should be enough. But it's like in the real world, if you can't get attention, if you can't shape perception, it's not. There's too much, there's too much noise. There's too many people doing good stuff. Being good is not enough. You've got to figure out how to stand out. You know, I was interested to hear about, because I didn't know about the Katie Couric piece on you early on. My guess is that's like, what a leverage point compared to like, how many volunteers would you have had to have out trying to get the word out compared to national television, borrowing a little bit from Katie Couric's reputation, you know, she had my wife and my mother-in-law on her show for our charity Child Rescue. It's a huge reputation builder for us, you know? That's right. And look, our, you're precisely right about that. And it kind of goes back to the, you know, the nonprofit charity space, having a level of expertise in it, having a level of an individual that can be there in it. I came from a sales marketing and, and big brand, you know, the clients that I had, the companies I worked with, the, the, the channels, you know, prior tech, I had a lot of expertise in that area. And I just happened to be a guy sitting in a hotel room one night that knew that, you know, we could go save lives. But when we were really able to turn soap, the trash into treasure, and really turn this thing on was our ability to help our hotels partners talk about the good work they were doing, giving them the digital assets, the social media, the PR, 
So the Katie Couric and, and, and the piece that ran out of, out of Central Florida, Orlando, the Fox News, the Fox piece there that then went to other, other, uh, other marketplaces and then drove what we were, when we really received heavy media and we've had, we've been blessed with just tremendous media globally in the, in the last 12 years. It was really in our ability to know marketing and branding and, and social and feed this content, feed these assets to our partners and really allow them to talk about the good work that we were doing. They could own it. They owned the child in Uganda that was receiving the bar soap, the mother in Honduras. Uh, we, we got it so that they owned it. Then they were promoting it, their social, their media, their PR. And all of a sudden, that started to drive us up and drive our presence out there. Next thing you know, AP is calling us and ABC Nightly News is calling us and, and you know MSNBC and Forbes and Bloomberg. And, but it was, and, and I go back to, we had a level of expertise. I was able to get folks in from the tech company even to help us. You know, our, the head of our product organization, she made the transition to Google, worked at Google for, for a while. Now is, you know, is our CXO. And I mean, she's a high value individual that we have working with us. Our COO is a high value individual, our SVP of sales. And these are individuals in the private sector. You know, they're, they're making good money. They're, they're making decent dollars here with us. But their level of expertise and their ability to drive what we have to drive. And so that kind of just goes back to the nonprofit space or the impact space, you know, the B Corp impact space, having the resources and the dollars available to hire the best and the brightest, to put the, the, the you know, great business acumen and technique into what they're doing. Because in so doing, the death rate to children under the age of five dying to hygiene related illnesses has come down by more than 65%. Like literally millions of mothers have not had to bury that child because of the work we did, because we were able to take some really good business technique and expertise and have really good people doing it. So it's just very necessary. And the more we keep driving into the marketplace, the more those dollars are available from investors, from consumers to go drive those awesome impact products. And, you know, we hope to just see a lot more of that, you know, in the, in the years to come. You know, I think it's great. And I think about this idea of like, one of the best ways to get what we want is to help other get other people get what they want first. I mean, it sounds kind of like a cliche. It probably is. But you think about this idea of like what a huge lift it is for you to be able to help those major organizations with their reputation. And and when you think about a principle that for somebody else, maybe, maybe they're a for-profit business, right? And they're thinking, you know, becoming higher profile or making one of our executives or our CEO more of a high profile expert. What kind of advice would you have given all this exposure you've had on Bloomberg and all these other media outlets? Well, it's a great question. It goes back to, I think, something you said, you said earlier. Number one, whatever you're doing here, you know, you got to be doing from the heart. Yes, there's a box you've got to check, but at the end of the day, the, 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 the program, the executive, the profile that you're trying to boost, if it's in this specific area of, you know, social entrepreneurship or impact or whatever, you, you, you got to have somebody that cares about this, that really wants to see, see, see change impact and see something positive impacted. Like any other business, you have to sit down and really, you know, create the mission statement, create the vision behind it. What are the things that, 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 that we're trying to do? Articulate that, you know, declare it. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's how we're going to go about doing it. Devote resources to it, you know, company resources to it. Uh, and then, when you've checked, when when you have that established, when you have that that structural, you know, sort of behind it, uh, your ability to, to 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 drive that profile, that that impact, that result, that outcome that you're trying to drive, that that you ultimately want to be seen 
by your consumer, by your shareholder, by by those that that are investing in you, it, it's it's going to it's going to really shine. It's really going to, to to tell the story you want to tell because you've done the right things internally to build it properly. If it's just a quick, hey, let's sit down. Hey, we're going to just get into this. Let's do it quick. You don't put a lot of money. We're just going to state it. Your people are going to see through it, and it's not going to have the genuineness it needs to have. I think when you get around the genuineness, I always tell corporations as well. You really got to understand the fabric of, of who you are and what you do. You know, there's some organizations that we've worked with where you start off by understanding the history of the organization, how they were started, what what meaningful thing happened years and years and years ago that helped drive the success of this organization. And you really start trying to understand what missions and charities and, and, and impacts are important to that organization based on what's in the DNA and the fabric of that organization. Those types of, of outcome, those types of, you know, Program services and and impacts are really meaningful because they 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 really tap into kind of the culture uh, and the fabric and the DNA of those you know those individual you know companies. So you know we we we've seen that so many times. You know we had when you think about service first or helping first. I give you another example. We we in 2017. Las Vegas Sands, who had a lot of dollars that they wanted to help solve a lot of different issues and were already engaged with us and doing a lot of global things. They came to us and said, we want to, we just want to help the, the, the local Southern Nevada, Las Vegas community, the homeless community. And I had just seen a video on a group that was taking a bus, putting a bunch of showers in it, and we're going to homeless encampments and homeless places and, and, and giving showers. And so we turned to them, to, to Sands and Venetia Plaza, and we said, listen, we could... I think we can make this type of a unit. That's going to be a significant investment, but I think we can really deliver showers into the community. And they said they got behind that. They were already behind us in hygiene. They wanted to help homelessness. They felt like this is really good. But what they did is they brought an advisory council together, grouped together their influence in the community, the nonprofits they were already supporting, the government officials they were already you know, engaged with. They brought them to the table and they said, we've got the shower unit coming, but we really want to make meaningful impact. Tell us how this is going to have the most amount of impact and what do we need to do? How do we need to build it in order to, to have the maximum amount of impact in the community? And when they really, before we built, when we sat with the, with the stakeholders there and it was a real sort of genuine, tell us what we need to do to help you, not we know what you need to help. We're going to go build this shiny thing and drop it in the community and say, here, now start using the shower unit. Now it was built in a way to help the other people there. It was built in a way to help the agencies, to help Clark County, to help the city of Las Vegas, to help those that were trying to tackle a homeless issue. And so when we did it that way, in the three years, interestingly, homelessness in Las Vegas has decreased by 60%. I'd say, well, the shower unit is the thing that did it. It's a big reason why. What happened with the shower unit and it being given to these agencies and given to, to, to the city and the county and those folks that were dealing with this, they were able to use this shower unit as a way to build relationships with the homeless community and get an individual that was in that homeless situation to kind of bring the walls down, to start trusting that agency, that group, that NGO, to do the thing they needed to do to get them out of homelessness, get into getting a birth certificate, getting into rehabilitation, getting into a job placement, just starting to have the dialogue and ask the question with the agency. So again, I go back to Las Vegas Sands. Las Vegas Sands didn't say, hey, we got money, put a shiny shower thing. Let's go out there. Let's start checking the box that we've, we've done a bunch of showers. They said, love this idea, clean world. Let's come together with the community and see how this thing can really help the community. We built it to help serve the community. And now today, 20,000 showers later, 
160 birth certificates later, 60% drop in homelessness later, the job placement, there's one agency alone in those three years has had 70 people that went from homeless to a home, actually been able to track it from the day they started engaging with the shower and then engaged with the agency and then went on to that continuum. And so that was an example. And then by the way, that led to Clark County uh, is just procured and now we've deployed three more units in Southern Nevada in order to keep you know, driving the, the, this homelessness issue and, and to fight COVID on, on, on the ground. But again, there was a situation where somebody didn't just say, let me just throw money at something and let's just do something shiny. It was, I, I, we like this hygiene thing. We see this community engagement that we can do. Let's really get in and do it together. And they called the meetings and they brought people into the room and we're in ballrooms at the Venetians. And now you got everyone coming in there. They're feeding us and they're, they're doing things to get everyone to start working together. And now we've had these really, really awesome outcomes, but it was, it was a meaningful engagement, not just a, a check mark and a, you know, let's just throw money at it and see what happens. Well, I feel like, I feel like you're an example of a few things there that other folks could use no matter the industry. You know, we do some strategy work for, you know, some, some large media companies, but as well, just, you know, successful CEOs and senior executives and stuff. Right. And it like, A, you know, your stats, you're not just claiming we're going to do this. You're reciting history and it just has credibility, right? You know, your numbers, you've got stories, you've got stories on tap. I mean, I think that people would do so great to have stories on tap when they get an opportunity like this, it rolls off the tongue, right? They don't have to think about it. And then I think you do a great job at repeatedly bringing it back to the human impact. You're telling me about this, the homeless people who now have a home. You're telling me about, you know, that like you really emphasize this like 65% reduction in, in child deaths, you know, as this whole hygiene world that you guys have been a big part of has impacted. And I think about it as a skill that probably no matter what industry somebody's in, if, if, you know, we could recite the history and it's not just history, like you knew the numbers, it's the 65 million bars. It's the, you know what I mean? Like these numbers that are going to grab attention. And then you follow it up with a story that happens to have a human impact. And uh, I feel like it's a great lesson the rest of us could benefit from. That's, that's it. That's exactly, you, you said it perfectly, Jesse. You, you have you have to track everything. You got to track it. Tracking gives you your data. Tells you whether it's your outcomes are right or not. It's like it's like selling a product. My product's selling or not? What's a consumer think about it? Well, what are the outcomes that we're trying to drive? Track it. Is it happening? If it's happening and you see the results are good, now you know you've got something there that you can you can develop. And then you take walk that data, those outcomes, and those real data points over to to to. Well, and and by the way, the results of those are real people know who those real people are, see those real people, talk to those real people, see the real outcomes, track them. You know, and then for us, we're able to take that over to the corporation and over to the to the to the client and say, this can be yours now. And we're going to track it. We're going to give you the outcomes and you're going to be able to share the stories. And in, in, in exchange, you know, you got to financially support. And through that financial support, we're going to go do more. And you know, in building that up and being able to execute in that, at the end of the day, it's 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 more lives that you're able to touch, and uh, and everybody wins. Everybody feels really good about it. That's a that's a point. I love it. Well, why don't you tell everybody the website addresses and the social and and all that, so they can go see some of the videos I saw and learn more about you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So we're Clean the World. You can find us at uh, cleantheworld.org and cleantheworldfoundation.org. You'll get to see our B Corp in our in our in our five hundred one c three. But if you just hit cleantheworld.org, Instagram, you can find us there. Twitter, Facebook all clean the world. That's our, that's our tag. Usually it's clean underscore the underscore world. I've got a YouTube channel, lots of awesome videos, news pieces, a lot of other great impact videos that we put together. There are ways for you as an individual to engage. You can get a soap safe live box, which is a box that can come to your home. You can put an assembly line 
at your home with your kids, with your family, and you could build a hygiene kit. You could build a hundred hygiene kits and then take those hygiene kits to a local Feeding America, to a local shelter or charity, or you can ship it back to us and we'll get it to somebody. Or your company can engage with us. We've got a number of impact products and you can, you can find us on the website, contact us there, social. And we have, we have something for everybody to help make a difference in the life of, of somebody else. I love it. Well, Thanks for making time for this and thanks for building a business that matters. Thanks, Jess. I really appreciate you having us on and letting us tell our story to your awesome audience. So thank you very much. This is great. Bye everyone.